Hello, and welcome back to the Land and Climate Podcast. My name's Alistair McEwen, and this week I spoke to Brussels-based Martin Dermine, Executive Director of the Pesticide Action Network Europe, about developments in late November where long-anticipated legislation that would have halved the use and risk of chemical pesticides in the European Union was voted down by the European Parliament. The proposals have been seen as a central part of the European Commission's so-called Green Deal. And until now, the EU had been viewed by many as the global lead in combating pesticide use in, in agriculture. The week before in Brussels, the Commission had announced that it would conditionally renew authorization of the controversial weed killer glyphosate for another 10 years. The issue with the health impacts of pesticides is that usually you see the consequences of the use of the pesticides only 30 years later. It's a constant and chronic exposure to pesticides either through the food we eat or for people living in the countryside. If you look, for instance, at the residues of pesticide that you find in house dusts of people who live in the countryside, it's often more than a hundred substances that are found. And people, babies are crawling on the floor and are exposed during infancy uh, to endocrine disrupting pesticides or neurotoxic pesticides which will have consequences, but very often only when they are 40, 50, but the consequences are, are there. I started by asking Martin to explain where the EU now was in its use of pesticides and what the implications were. Yes, well, in the European Union, the situation in terms of um, the types of pesticides that are approved is improving. We have a strict regulation that obliges producers to show that their pesticides are not harmful to human health and the environment. And gradually, the regulation is becoming stricter and stricter. So all these old super toxic substances are being phased out from the market. We still have some, but most of the most toxic pesticides were phased out. Now for a whole series of pesticides, we do not have information because there is not sufficient research or for neurotoxic pesticides. For the moment, pesticide companies are not obliged to provide the needed data to test their neurotoxicity and, for instance, the link with the Parkinson's disease and so on. So even though the situation is better than in the rest of the world, uh, we still see a lot of negative impacts of pesticides on uh, the health of farmers and th their families in the first place, but also on the environment in general. Can you explain for listeners what some of those potential harmful impacts are? and maybe go through some of the slightly concerning pesticides. Yeah, so there are more and more epidemiological studies that point at uh, the link between exposure to pesticides and the development of uh, diseases such as the Parkinson's disease. Or there are also many studies linking exposure to pesticides during pregnancy with uh, birth malformations, and in particular, sexual birth malformations, endocrine disrupting effects and so on. So uh, clearly there are links and also some evidence of, especially in some specific productions like the wine growers, there's a higher rate of cancers. So uh, it's a whole array of diseases. A lot of not known. Uh, there is uh, more and more research pointing at immunodeficiency that can lead to all kinds of diseases. But from what we know, it's highly problematic to use synthetic pesticides, but there's a lot to be discovered still, unfortunately. 
And it's an under-researched area, would you say, in terms of scientific research? Or is it just that there's a certain sector that are, that are doing scientific research? Part of the knowledge is there based on the regulatory science. So the dossiers that the industry is providing show that their pesticides are toxic to reproduction or carcinogenic. But then for a whole part of the evaluation dossier, science is missing. As I was saying on neurotoxicity, on immunotoxicity, for instance, the neonicotinoids were banned in the EU in 2018 to protect bees, but those are neurotoxic. And now, uh, since uh, two, three years, there is more and more uh, publication showing that actually you find neonics in uh, children's brains, that actually neonicotinoids are going directly through the placental barrier, meaning that when pregnant women would eat fruits or vegetables with residues of neonics, they would directly uh, go to the embryo, the baby's blood, and expose a baby that for which their neurological system is under development. And there we have no evidence uh, whatsoever on is it harmful or not. It's not part of the regulatory system. So the evidence we have is highly worrying. And this part of the evaluation process is really missing. Can you take us through a little bit of the current regulatory system then? And then maybe we can go into what's happened in the last few weeks with the European Parliament, which voted down this proposal, which would have reduced pesticide use across Europe further. In the EU, the pesticide authorization system is regulated by one of the strictest regulations in the world. But unfortunately, when it comes to implementing it, both at EU and national level, we clearly see that there is a huge influence from agro-industry that is lobbying ministries of agriculture that prevent from a strict implementation of EU law. Despite we have this very good regulation, we sometimes have bans on very toxic substances, but overall the use of synthetic pesticides is not reducing in Europe. In 2009, the European Commission decided to produce a, a new directive, which is called the Directive on the Sustainable Use of Pesticides. And the aim of this directive was to better protect citizens and the environment against pesticides by gradually reducing the overall use of pesticides in agriculture and also in towns, for instance, for the maintenance of payments or in parks. And this directive led to interesting um, developments. For instance, uh, France or Belgium completely banned the use of pesticides in towns. No more glyphosate used to maintain uh, pavement. They had to use other techniques. One of the objectives of the directive was to gradually replace pesticides by uh, non-chemical alternatives through the implementation of what is called integrated pest management, IPM. And there clearly member states, uh, the ministries of agriculture did not implement the directive. So the commission said it would propose a regulation. So the commission came up with the proposal for a new regulation on the sustain sustainable use of pesticides with clear objectives, making it mandatory to implement IPM and to have mandatory pesticide reduction targets. And uh, in the beginning, the, this proposal was received positively in the European Parliament as well as um, in uh, the member states. 
But the agribusiness has gradually been uh, using, uh, well, the usual techniques. They disinformed members of the European Parliament. They used scaremongering techniques, uh, drawing the hunger argument, the fact that we will all go hungry if we reduce pesticides by 50%. And of course, all of this is not science-based. Scientists who truly work in the transition of agriculture towards agroecological practices are unanimous to say that we can face out uh, chemical synthetic pesticides on the long run, but that we have to start. The argument of um, agribusiness were more convincing to a lot of MEPs, uh, members of the European Parliament, and I think that also some national political situation led a lot of members of the parliament to in the end not vote in favor of the general interest but rather in favor of agribusiness. And what does that mean in practice now then in in terms of what are the implications of all this? So the members of the European parliament decided uh, last week to reject the Commission proposal for a sustainable use of pesticide regulation, meaning that the Parliament will not have its own opinion on the proposal. But in parallel, the Member States, the Council, are working on this proposal to develop their own opinion and they should continue working in the coming months. It is still unclear if they will also drop the file or they will continue working. But if the councils of the member states reach an opinion, then the opinion from the council will come back to the parliament and the parliament will have to amend it or vote on it and the discussion will continue. So the commission proposal for a sustainable use of pesticide regulation, what they call the SUR, is not completely dead. There are question marks. Is the council going to continue working on it? Or will the Commission just uh, remove its, uh, withdraw the proposal, come up with a new proposal? There are a lot of question marks for the moment, but there are still possibilities to maintain the Commission proposal. It is watered down, unfortunately, but there are still interesting progresses compared to the previous uh, legislation, which is uh, a directive. And we've got European Parliament elections next year. It does look like at, at least according to polls, that some of the green lobby might may no longer be in the European Parliament. Are you pessimistic about progress, at least through the European Parliament? Historically, the European Parliament has been an ally of um, NGOs to work on pesticides, uh, no matter they are right or left wing, because pesticides have a direct impact on our health and nobody can disregard the importance of regulating strictly pesticides that in the end are harmful to citizens in rural areas, in cities, through direct exposure or through the residues in food. So we still are very confident that we can achieve important results with the European Parliament, having it more or less progressive parties, because we always did. Now the situation around the sustainable use of pesticides regulation was particular. It's in the middle of the uh, Ukraine war. We had elections, so some uh, right-wing uh, politicians had to radicalize themselves uh, in view of the elections. But we are really confident that the next parliament will still achieve uh, great things on pesticides and that we could still have an interesting new regulation to gradually reduce pesticides. And can you also say for listeners who some of the players are 
that are involved. They're obviously the big agrochemicals companies. There's also the unions. There's Copper Kajeka, which I think we've previously covered in, in one of our podcasts. The agri-lobby is very diverse. It's, of course, the pesticide industry. They they do direct lobby. They do scaremongering. They claim, oh, if you reduce pesticide by 50%, we will have harvest loss by 50%, which they always say every time we talk about banning one pesticide, they say, oh, but we will have a, a drop in 50% of the yields and it never happens. And they keep using this argument that has some impact on politicians who are not knowledgeable on, on the topic. But there's also a lot of indirect lobby because the pesticide industry has very, very close ties with the farmer unions. They fund a lot of the farmer organizations and uh, we see it through the positions from Copacojeca, who are very often very close to what the pesticide lobbies uh, promote. And it's really a disaster for farmers themselves in the first place, because a union that is supposed to protect farmers, including farmers' health, and that systematically will oppose to any phasing out of very toxic pesticides, I think is a problem in terms of representation. And then Copacojeca claims they represent millions of farmers, but actually they themselves don't even know how many people they represent. But still, they have a preferential way to MEPs, to politicians, to public servants in the commission. And they do this lobbying that is completely aligned with that from the pesticide industry. So in the end, the small-scale farmers that still represent the majority of EU farmers are not represented or not much. Uh, they think they are represented by their regional or national unions. But in the end, when you listen to the positions of Copacojeca, they are really favorable to huge farms who earn a lot of money on the back of the common agricultural policy money. And then the small and medium scale farmers are, are not represented, which is uh, highly problematic. And recently you also mentioned that the European Commission itself had a, you kind of hinted a, a kind of fairly close relationship with, with the pesticide industry and that it was hosting events, for example, that, that were only between them and the industry. And to what extent is there independent policymaking on this now in Brussels? Well, historically, the pesticide industry always has it, its entry points in ministries and they were always very much involved in the drafting of guidelines on how to frame the regulatory process around pesticides. And over the last 10 to 15 years, the situation improved because NGOs had publicly complained on the problems of conflicts of interest and the situation improved, but still it's a constant fight. The European Commission and member states constantly have a privileged relationship with the companies. And we really see that the EU spirit is still to favor business over protecting health, environment, employment, and so on. There is still a, a lot of margin to improve the situation. And for us, it's a constant fight to have to denounce the fact that the industry and commission member states meet in secret without giving the possibility to civil society to be present, to express itself. 
and to also have a look on what's happening there because we know how it works when they they supposedly do not talk a bit about this or that file but during the coffee break uh, everybody knows what uh, kind of discussions they have and they always try to influence the approval or reapproval or of this or that pesticide in particular and it is highly problematic indeed do you think then that agricultural ministries in, in member states are really to have precedence over the health ones when it comes to member state priorities <laughs> and, and then they're discussing this in council, etc. In most member states, pesticides are in the remit of agricultural ministries. A few member states, the health or environment ministries can have a say, but the final decision is almost always in the hands of the agriculture minister. And it's really particular because the pesticide law is about protecting health and the environment against the negative impact of pesticides. But you ask to implement a law which aim is to protect against pesticide to a ministry that is uh, generally favorable to industrial agriculture, who has a lot of staff that directly comes from the industrial agriculture sector. Uh, they have a lot of ties with industrial agriculture. So clearly there, there is a, an enormous problem. And if pesticides were regulated by health ministries or environment ministries, the situation would be completely different in terms of what happens both at national and at EU level. And is there any prospect of that happening? From what we see, it's a political will. There's a very big lobby in the member states to make sure that it's the pesticides stay in the remit of agriculture ministers. And uh, we see that it works really well. So it, it should be much more on the, the agenda of the civil society in the member states to give this task to health and environment ministers. But we see also that there is some kind of political agreements. They do horse trading uh, in the frame of the uh, when they create governments. And it always goes back to the agricultural ministers. Just from an outside view, it does look like just in terms of the actual funding which goes into the lobbying, that this is kind of like a, a David versus Goliath task. I'm imagining that in a sense, your side of the campaign is not well funded. Well, it's very hard to assess how many millions and millions of euros the industry is spending in terms of lobbying because they do direct lobbying themselves. They have umbrella organizations who represent them. They pay consultancy to do lobbying for them on top of that. But clearly they are much, much more and better funded than us. On the other hand, we have the public with us in all poll opinions and referendums and so on. You constantly see that the public is asking for a better protection of health and the environment against pesticides. They ask for phasing out of pesticides and so on. And we clearly felt it was finally heard by politicians, at least at EU level, with this proposal for a regulation on the sustainable use of pesticides in order to reduce pesticides by 50% until 2030. But then everything was um, screwed up, if I may say, at national level, because at national level, agribusiness has its direct entries into ministries of agriculture. And indeed, there they are very efficient and there's still a lot of work to do to develop a more efficient civil society at national level to work on pesticides and also to run more legal actions because the law is on our side, but then it's the politicians who refuse to implement it correctly. Just looking forward, I mean, just in terms of 
the impacts of the kind of continued pesticide use. So obviously we've got impacts on insect populations, etc. Can you give us a prediction on, on where we're going if pesticide use continues as it is, both in terms of biodiversity, but also in terms of health impacts? The issue with the health impacts of pesticides is that usually you see the consequences of the use of the pesticides only 30 years later. It's a constant and chronic exposure to pesticides, either through the food we eat or for people living in the countryside. If you look, for instance, at the residues of pesticide that you find in house dusts of people who live in the countryside, it's often more than a hundred substances that are found. And people, babies are crawling on the floor and are exposed during infancy uh, to endocrine disrupting pesticides or neurotoxic pesticides, which will have consequences, but very often only when they are 40, 50 but the consequences are, are there. There's an increase in neurodegenerative diseases. People are, well, declare these diseases uh, at younger ages. The age to have cancers lower and lower, very often linked to endocrine cancers that are linked to endocrine disrupting uh, pesticides or endocrine disrupting chemicals. This is one of the reasons we say, okay, it's good to evaluate pesticides one by one, but we absolutely need to have a reduction of pesticides on the long run and to implement agroecological practices. And this is where we don't have an improvement for the moment. Pesticides are becoming safer and safer, but it's a very slow process. We have a few, one, two, three pesticides that are banned every year, but it's not enough compared to the hundreds of active substances that are on the market. And we need to finally have our politicians to follow what the citizens are constantly demanding, to have a plan to phase out synthetic pesticides and replace them with uh, ecological alternatives. They exist, they work, the farmers who implement them, they have profitable farms. It's just a matter of political will and also to accept to not have any more pesticide companies. And yes, the people working in pesticide companies will have to find other jobs, but this is how economy should work. We have to transition towards a more sustainable economy in general. If you look at the kind of agrochemicals market, it seems that what half the market, at least 50% of the market is made up of what four companies, Bayer, BASF, then there's the Chinese owned Syngenta and then the American giant Corteva. To what extent is this kind of being played out? And is the, is the European Commission, for example, looking at this as a kind of geopolitical economic dossier in which they're, they're managing it? Yes, very clearly. When the commission discusses either reducing pesticides or uh, banning certain substances, they also receive internal pressures from uh, DG Grow, whose aim is to favor business, uh, maintain an open market. So there, there is also this proposal from the commission to halt the exports of pesticides that are banned in the EU. They are still produced in the EU and they are exported to third countries that do not have strict uh, regulatory, a strict regulatory framework. There are also internal pressures from the commission who wants to maintain business and do not care about moral questions uh, and protecting health and the environment in third countries. And this is all based on 
how the EU was built in the beginning after the Second World War. The aim of the EU is to avoid having more wars by developing business. But now we are a bit further and we should also think of in terms of social aspects, environmental aspects, health aspects that are also in turn very favorable, favorable to business. Because if we phase out pesticides towards uh, sustainable alternatives. It also favors, uh, fosters uh, innovation in terms of uh, biocontrol and green solutions. Now we will have the EU elections and the Commission, the Parliament, they're taking decisions that, on pesticides that completely, uh, you know, there was a renewal of glyphosate that completely go against what people ask. And they do that just six months before <laughs> EU elections. Then, uh, I mean, for citizens, it's terrible. They say, but Okay, who do we will vote for in the end? And it really creates despair among people to say, but who can we trust? Who's going to protect us? I think all this is fostering, uh, yeah, Euroscepticism, extreme right parties and so on. I don't know if you, it's more part of the public trust in politicians to give them a, a future. Decision makers act with a short-term vision and and very often they react to pressures from the industry who use scaremongering messages but they don't have a long-term vision and by rejecting the proposal from the commission to reduce pesticides by 50 percent by reapproving glyphosate a few weeks ago we see that gradually people lose trust in their decision makers because who's going to protect me against pesticides now we talk a lot about PFAS there are also PFAS pesticides sprayed deliberately on our food and people eat PFAS, the forever chemicals. In the end, they take these decisions. This creates uh, doubt among people. Who should I vote for? We have the EU elections in just six months time and we need to give more hope and a positive future to people. And now they see that the commission proposal for a more positive future in terms of exposure to pesticides has been destroyed by the European Parliament. I think that in terms of democracy, it's a really bad signal for citizens. My thanks to Martin Dermeen from Pesticide Action Network Europe. As usual, we have some further reading on the subject, which you can find in our podcast blurb, which we hope will be useful for better understanding the issue. Do feel free to get in touch with us directly to give us feedback or if you think there are issues you think we should be looking into. Thanks also to Vasco Kostovsky for producing the show and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time with another interview. Thanks for listening. <laughs>